0: The Profit Constructors presents Construction Junction, the junction between accounting and construction. Please welcome our host, Tanya Schulte.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Construction Junction podcast. As we do love to say, it's the junction where construction and accounting meet. I am your host, Tanya Schulte, and I am so glad to be joining you again for another edition of our podcast. If you're a business owner like me, you know that it can be lonely at the top, right? And it is so difficult sometimes to know what's the next best step to take. Not so much even because that decision in and of itself is hard, although that could be the case, but a lot of times it's because we are not giving ourselves the space and the room to make the right decisions. Um, We're just plowing forward, doing the best that we know how to build a business and to do all of the things that a smaller startup business takes to build and a lot of times we get so caught up in doing the things that need to be done that we forget to ask the questions around are we doing the right things uh are we making the right decisions and again are we giving ourselves enough space to make those decisions so that's what we're going to be talking about today how do we step back and take a look how do we get out of the weeds and up into the clearer air where we can take a higher, uh, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 or 50,000 foot view of the business and begin to see where things need improvement, uh, where we need to maybe uh, make some changes in the business, where we need to maybe um, hone in more on an ideal customer base. Maybe we've been, taking too many customers, and it's uh, diluted what it is that we're the specialists in, what we're the experts in. Um, You know, there's a lot of different ways that you could look at this. And so today, what we're going to do is bring in um, someone who coaches, especially service-based business owners, and talk about some of his best strategies and best practices for owners, um, and even just talk about, What is it that you want out of your business? I think as business owners, we begin with a vision of what we want out of our business. And I would even venture to say that most of us include in that vision, something akin to the word freedom, um, you know, something akin to the word of, um, you know, less stress, right? And then we find out that that's not what we gained when we jumped into this. And so why? Why did we think we were going to have more freedom, but now we have less? Why did we think it would be less stressful, but now there's more? Um, There are a lot of uh, different ways, again, that you can look at this and take that. But let's chat with this business coach and then a small business owner who's doing it himself and get a little bit more of the details of what are some ways that we as owners can take a step back and, and how can we find more of that? freedom? How can we find more of exactly what it is that success looks like for us um, by being able to get a little bit out of the weeds and a little bit farther away from the things that we need to get done today and look ahead and see how we can change our business into what we want it to be.
0: Hey, are you an accountant or bookkeeper in deep on the construction industry niche? Or maybe you're just thinking about throwing your hat in the ring. We here at Construction Junction also host a roundtable over at Roundtable Labs, just for construction types like you. This isn't a workshop or seminar. Instead, we dive deep into the issues faced in this niche and the firms that serve them. We tackle topics together by crowdsourcing our experiences and areas of expertise. We also support each other when things get tough. Think of it as a cross between a mastermind and support group for financial types that you didn't know you needed. So if you're looking to build better construction clients as you build a better accounting business, give us a try.
1: Welcome back. I'm glad to be being joined here by my new friend. Um, We just met not that long ago, Brian Harding. And uh, I have to say that when I met you, Brian, I was very impressed kind of with your background, your knowledge, what you're growing and what you're building. So you're an author, you have a podcast, um, and you run Service Industry Success. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being here. And uh, thanks for all the nice things you just said about me. I appreciate that.
1: <laughs> Always, right? I mean, if I'm going to bring someone on the show, I have to say nice things. That's right. That's, that's right.
2: The
1: <laughs> Brian, tell us about service industry success. Kind of what is it and what led you to bringing that uh, to yeah. folks in the service industry? So,
2: service industry success is, is a company I started a few years ago, and it's specifically to help business owners in service industries. So home services, of course, you know, contractors um, and and especially those who are in relationship-driven businesses. So people who primarily work for other companies like subcontractors, also companies that work for property management companies, that kind of thing. So these are service businesses primarily or significantly relationship-driven, not marketing or transaction-driven. So I work less with people who, you know, do retail you know, stuff for homeowners. I have clients like that, but I work more with people who have relationship driven businesses, where they're working for other companies. Um, specifically, I help them with the, the kind of the big three pain points, which is people, uh, it could be employees or customers, almost always employees, though, generally processes and profitability. So I help them, uh, I kind of call myself a, a growth and employee problem solver. I help them uh, scale and grow a company from wherever they're at to a company that will give them the income that they want, but also and maybe more importantly, uh, the time to enjoy it. One of the things I hear most often from business owners is they feel like a glorified babysitter or they feel like their business owns them or they can't take a weekend off uh, without taking their cell phone with them or they can't take an impromptu four day weekend. And those things are all frustrating. And I help people overcome those, again, through almost always solving problems relating to people, processes, and profitability.
1: That makes so much sense. And I think that's one of the reasons why when we did meet, so much of what you said resonated with me. So I think I shared with you, I have a really good business coach who in my own business helped me to learn that. And over time, I've been able to, to pass some of the learnings that I was able to garner, on to our clients um, or even just today. I had a phone call right before I uh, stepped in to come record this with you guys. And I had a, a, a lady who's in the same business that I am in accounting and that reached out and said, here's an issue. And I helped her to kind of see it from the other side, right? And I think as business owners, it's lonely at the top. Yep, You're so often caught up in the weeds that you can't step back and take that 50,000 foot view Even if it's something that you've heard over and over, maybe you read it in a book, maybe you went to a conference and you've heard it, but you can't figure out exactly how to apply it directly into your business. So how, when you're working with clients, Brian, how do you approach that and help them um, step back, see their company from that new view, and then really learn how to apply certain principles in their own business?
2: Yeah. So uh, that's a great observation. There, there's kind of two elements to what I do. So one is I have the experience. I own the company with over 50 employees. We were invoicing 9,000 jobs a year. We grew 38% a year for like 10 years straight. We founded the company, myself and two partners. And when I sold my shares, we had over 50 employees. So I understand the path from inception to growth and scaling to you know succession planning and all the all the nuance that goes along with that. But so I had that experience. I, I know what it feels like. I know what these problems are like. I know where you might solve one problem and create one twice as bad if you're not careful. I, I have the experience to, to deal with that. But a lot of it is I have perspective. I don't have the emotional entanglements with Sally, the, the dispatcher. I don't have the problems with you know Joanne, the manager, that you know the history and things like that. And a lot of what I do is just asking um, the right questions at the right time. That's probably 80% of what I do, honestly is having the experience and the perspective to know which question to ask to help the person I'm working with come to the right conclusion for them. The goal is not to build a business I want. The goal is to build a business they want. And so sometimes in life and in business especially, we can just find ourselves in the weeds on things and we forget like, what does success look like here? <laughs> and a simple question like that sometimes just changes the whole conversation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's... um a big part of what I've even learned in terms of working with our accounting clients. Um, I used to, I'm just going to like confessional time now. So Brian, you can listen to my confession. Um, I used to approach every new client project with this idea that I'm the expert and I'm going to come in and solve all your problems from an accounting standpoint.
3: Yeah.
1: I am an expert in accounting. I'm an expert in construction accounting. But a lot of times I didn't give the client enough time to voice all of their needs, to voice all of their pain points before I jumped in with a lot of solutions and conclusions. And I think that's one area where as a coach and as an advisor, it's got to be like you said, I can't, I can't tell them how to run their business, I'm here to give advice and I'm here to help them look at things from all different angles. Right. And so sometimes it's, it's often like, like I did today with the, the lady that I was talking about earlier, I just started asking her, I listened for about 15, 20 minutes. I just let her talk. And then I just started asking her a bunch of questions. Well, what is this? What is that? And And I think really, she honestly came to her own conclusion, but I had to let her get to that point.
2: Yeah. No, almost always they come to the right conclusion themselves. So again, it's not about me steering them in one direction or another. It's about asking those questions. And and the the thing that your your confession is a confession that I would guess 97% of us business owners could could have given, and and still struggle with with our employees. And that is this notion that we have to con- continually prove how how great we are and our expertise and justify our whatever. And one of the things I remind people of a lot is you can go to the, if your driver's license expires, you can go to the DMV and get a new driver's license and have a horrible experience. You cannot have a good experience without getting your driver's license renewed. And it's the same way with our, whatever our craft is. If you're a plumber, if you're a bookkeeper, if you're a CPA, if you're an electrician, it doesn't matter. It's the same across the board. We get so hung up on how well we do our thing, we forget about the experience they're having. Mm -hmm. And I, and I remind folks sometimes. They wouldn't call you if they didn't think you were an expert. Like The the likelihood they would call somebody that thought was marginally good chance, didn't know how to solve their problem, they wouldn't do that. You don't have to prove this over and over. Now, you you can drop the ball, and you can show them that you're not competent, for sure. But being competent and then knowing you're competent quickly becomes a conversation where I'm telling you how great I am as the provider, and what's lost sight is the problems that the buyer wants to solve. And by the way, they're the ones writing the check. Yeah, uh, their, their problems have to be paramount, not my expertise and not my solution. Solving their problem has to be paramount, not them buying my solution. And that's a critical thing that especially highly trained, skilled employees struggle with. Again, it doesn't matter if you're roofing, plumbing, bookkeeping, CPAs, it doesn't matter. We all kind of fall into this thing where we find ourselves, if we're not careful, talking about how great our solution is instead of how do we solve the client's problem.
1: I think that's a really good point. And I um, have attended a lot of conferences um, by a particular man named Joe Woodard, who brings a lot of what he learned at the Disney Institute into his conferences to help those of us who are in the accounting space kind of learn about customer experience, right? because who does customer yeah. experience better than Disney? Right. And I was at my first conference that I was attending was actually a uh, with him, it's called Scaling New Heights as his conference. The very first one I went to was in Orlando and we were on a Disney property, the first time I ever attended. And while I was attending there, some family of mine came to see me there. And we were in one of the the Disney properties. And my aunt was walking past one of the restaurants, and she turned and saw a sign that said corn chowder was, was on the special for the menu that day. And as we were walking past the front door of that restaurant, she said, hmm. I don't think I've ever had corn chowder. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I would even like that. And we just kept walking. We ended up sitting a few feet away from the door on a different area of the property. And the hostess from that restaurant brought my aunt a little cup of corn chowder and said, Hey, we heard what you said when you walked past and the chef wants you to try our corn chowder today. Nice. And I think, uh, so part of what, like I've, really been honing in on recently with our our stuff is like what is our client experience right like do they see us going above and beyond or do they just not even know that we're here like are we in the background and we're we're maybe doing the books really well and maybe the tax returns are being filed on time and that's great but is it what they need right like do they just need us to be this cog in the machine that's sort of just making sure that their book stories right or do they see us Stepping up and really giving them an experience that's something that in the long run they want to stay and and do yeah. work with us for for a long time. Yeah,
2: and and part of this is is getting clarity for ourselves and especially our team, which in the beginning requires we get clarity ourselves. What is the journey we're taking our client on? And specifically, and I don't mean in a general sense. Like one of the things that that drives me crazy as a consumer, forget what I do for a living for a minute, as a consumer. Is hearing companies talk about customer satisfaction. In what other realm in life is the target satisfaction? Imagine me coming home to my wife and saying, "My goal for our marriage is for you to be satisfied." Okay. Like not excited, not enthusiastic, satisfied. That's not the even goal, happy, right? 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 Yeah, not even happy. Yeah, just like <laughs> and and so we say these things, and then we get wildly frustrated when our employees, quote unquote, don't get it, and they make decisions that we don't like. Well. If I ask, if I were to call, I don't know, pick pick an industry, Tanya, just give me a random example, an industry. Uh, plumbing. Okay. If I call 10,000 plumbers tomorrow and ask them, tell me what your, your customer, the one who calls you 80% of the time, the, the avatar that's your customer, what do you think they're thinking, feeling, and doing as it relates to plumbing, the stuff they need fixed, the moment before they pick up the phone to call you? I would guess less than 1% could answer that question. If I also ask them, what do you want them to be thinking, feeling and doing at the end of your transaction, as you're doing the final walkthrough, whatever that looks like for you, what do you want them to be thinking, feeling and doing there? I would guess again, less than 1% can answer that question. Well, how in the heck can we have employees make really good decisions we can trust if nobody can explain where we're starting and nobody can explain where we're going? Yeah. It's insanity.
1: Yeah. Brian, you're making me think of something that you said to me not that long ago in one of our conversations. And it's really been something that I've been chewing on and trying to um, implement uh, here on our team. And, and we have a, an internal team and then a, a larger external co-firming team. And we've been talking about this at the top quite a bit ever since you said it to me. And so I want I want to make sure we get it into uh, what we're talking about today, which is yeah. Uh, This is a McDonald's. I'm not just going to hand our employees a recipe and say, here, go make this hamburger. You're going to make it the same way every single time. And I can't create process like that for this service-based relationship style business that we have. Um, My employees just aren't going to be able to make the same hamburger every single time. So what I have to do is teach them decision-making. And honestly, one of the things I've been chewing on, Brian, is I don't even necessarily want them to make the same decision that I would every single time. I have to teach right. them how to make really good decisions on their own. So talk to me more about that. Like how, what is your thought process on that? And how do you help your clients do that?
2: I could spend 10 hours talking about this and I have on my podcast service industry success, if you wanted more stuff on this topic, I probably a quarter of what I talked about in all the episodes are short 15, 20 episodes, but I talk about these kinds of things. There's, there's so much confusion about processes and procedures especially in service-based businesses. Now, I spent a couple of years of my career, way before I was a business owner, early in my career, I spent a year writing procedures. That was like my, my primary job, uh, not something I would recommend for everyone, but I worked for a, a big manuf a, a big company that supplied manufacturers, and it, we had to be ISO 9000 compliant. So I understand how to write procedures pretty well. I'm very fluent in how that works the problem in service-based businesses is we try to we hear some like i the the percentage of, of business owners i hear just randomly that i meet say some version of in my business journey i'm at the place where i need to work on my procedures i need to get my pro- processes in place and if i were to ask you know 100 of them okay what are the steps one through seven to do that like most of them would not have an answer and i, I would not do that to them but but we had this vague idea we're supposed to work on processes. Okay, well let's break it down a little bit. In a product-based business like McDonald's, or if I owned a family family bakery, and our claim to fame was my grandma's world-famous cupcakes, I could absolutely have a procedure. Here's how we make our cupcakes. In fact, we're going to get rid of the measuring cups that don't even that we don't use, and we're only going to have utensils in place to make our world-famous cupcakes. A procedure is 100% applicable there and appropriate because the whole point of the procedure is to remove spontaneous decision-making. The whole point is to have compliance. We've decided this is the best this can be, and therefore we're gonna all do it the exact same way because we we all agree there's no better way to do this. Okay, in a service-based business, there's a very small percentage of the things that we do every day in the field, in the office, whatever, where compliance is a realistic goal. What we generally want is good decision-making, and what I want is freedom as a business owner. I cannot have freedom if my employees cannot make good decisions I can trust, which allows me to delegate more decisions to them. And if we have a, a situation where in decisions are made at the highest possible level, then the business owner is owned by the business. You can't take that weekend. You can't You can't go golfing on Wednesdays. You can't take two weeks of vacation. The goal for me is to have decisions made at the lowest possible level, which means I need to train people how to make great decisions. And this is where the procedure process thing gets gets mixed up in service industries. We can't aim for compliance on things. Your employees in service-based businesses, whether it's plumbing, electrical, CPA firms, roofing, like anybody who's providing a service, they will make dozens, if not hundreds of decisions a day. You could not write a procedure on how to drive a car one mile down a 35-mile-an-hour road. You could, it would be 700 pages long. You couldn't do right. that, and nobody would ever read it. Right. So these right. things that we think we need procedures on are really not things we need procedures on because there's so many variables, like you're explaining, it's not making grandma's world-famous chocolate cupcakes. Right. Where We do the same thing over and over. There's always a variable. Almost always there's some wrinkle. It's different here. It's different there, right? Yeah.
1: Right after you and I talked about this, I was sharing this with a fellow accounting firm owner. And she said, I know, I know. And so what I've been doing is I've been crafting these decision trees for my employees. And I said, no, I think you're missing what I'm saying here because you could make a decision tree every day from now until you die. And you'd never come up with all of the different decisions that your employees might be encountered with throughout the life cycle of your business. So just making a decision tree doesn't teach your employees how to make the decision.
2: Right. And this is where going back to what we were talking about before we transition to this, human beings are fantastic problem solvers. And I would argue that most of us business owners do a reasonably good job of removing people out of our company who don't want to do a good job. If we accept those two things and we accept that, okay, people come and go that are not great fits for our company. Okay. But I do a pretty good job of getting those folks out. Some might stay longer than I want. I might give somebody too many chances, whatever, but generally speaking, the people here wanna do a good job and human beings by and large are exceptional. In fact, you might argue the number one thing that we have better than any other species is problem solving. So let's use that to our benefit. Instead of trying to clamp down and have quote unquote procedures in place to restrict decision-making and to force compliance in many situations where they won't even be accurate because there's variables that have not been accounted for in our procedure, so we immediately teach our people don't follow the procedure because the procedure is wrong. But when you don't follow the procedure, when it fits, now you're in trouble. Like that's a horrible situation, right? Let's teach them how to be successful by making great decisions, which starts with, who is our client? What does success look like? What is the journey we're taking them on? Realistically, what are they thinking, feeling doing when they call? I promise you they're way more concerned about, are you gonna, If if, if your ideal client is a 50 year old woman and you're doing retail plumbing, I promise you she's 10 times more concerned whether or not you're going to go through her underwear drawer when she's not around than she is how well you'll do the plumbing. I promise you. But if I asked a 1,000 plumbers, what do you think the number one concern is? It'll be, well, that that doesn't leak when I'm done. And that that simple things like that, that misunderstanding of of starting off not understanding where the customer is on their journey and where we want them to go, how could they possibly make great decisions? And so we try to overcome that by by creating these processes and procedures to to restrict and don't allow them to do things well, they don't understand the big picture. So if I had a if I had a relationship with you Tanya where this would not be weird and I called you and said listen I'm I need your help. I'm going to be your house in 30 minutes. I just be ready to go. Click. You're like, "Whoa, what's what's going on?" Okay, well, fine. And I show up to your house, you get in the car, you close the door. What do you think the first couple of things you're going to ask me are? what is going on?
1: Why are we here?
2: Yeah. yeah. What is going on, which is going to break down into where are we going and why are we going there? Yeah. If your employees cannot answer that question for the company and for the client, how in the world can they be able to, how in the world can they make great decisions? Right. If, if you ask, like, I just had this conversation with a client of mine a couple of days ago, like he heard something on the radio or podcast or something like that. And he called me and and it was, they were talking about, or no, he bumped into a guy at, at a at a kid's soccer game or something like that. And then they started talking and whatever. And, and the, the guy who he, he talked to had worked for this, his business owner for 20 years and they, they're in a 20 a person company or something like that. And they were talking about well, where's the company going? And the guy says, I have no idea. I don't even know if my business owner wants to grow the business. If he's content with where it's at, if he's looking to shrink it down as he like fades off into retirement, I have no idea. Okay. Well, <laughs> How can that employee help us get to where we want to go if the employee has no clue where the company is going? You know, building a 50-person a company is very different than building a 14-person company.
1: Yeah.
2: And so that context, they need to know what's going on to make great decisions. And you can't overcome that with processes and procedures. And the customer journey, the customer experience, knowing which touch points we have with the customer that they're excited about, which ones are negatives. There are negatives in all these touch points, you know, in many touch points we have with customers. If if they don't even understand that and they don't have any frame of reference for where we're going and why we're going there, it's really, really hard for them to make decisions. And what we try to do is, is overcome that by imposing procedures, and that's absolutely backwards. We gotta start with, where are we going, why are we going there? Then let's figure out, like we're on a road trip, let's figure out where we're going. Like We're going to San Diego to deliver a kidney for a kidney transplant. Okay, now let's figure out how to get gas and where we're gonna get gas and how often we're gonna stop for rest. Right. Let's. Right. But that's not how we do. We 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 don't know these bigger picture things, and so we focus on the things in front of us, which is procedures. And it's just a few a few uh, exercise, in my opinion.
1: Yep, I think you're right. And one of the first things that any good project manager learns about managing any sort of project is we always have to start at the end. What's the result?
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I uh, I've gotten this call twice in the last year, two different industries: once in roofing, and once in uh, water restoration. And both times they were people I know, and they called me just that they needed to, to terminate a project manager. And they, they called me, it was just like, hey, I haven't done this a lot. Like, how do I make this as painless as possible and everyone involved? No problem. Glad to help. I'm, I'm, I am I'm take that call from anyone. I don't want anybody to be in a situation like that that's any more awkward than it has to be. But I said, before we do that, though, let me ask you one question. These are two separate conversations, five months apart. Same exact conversation. though." And I said, let me ask you one question before we we'll go ahead with this, though. If I, Brian, called your project manager, Sally, and said, Sally, what are the top one, two, or three criteria your boss uses to assess your performance, would her answer match yours? The response I got was awkward silence, followed by a, no, probably not. And so for all these things, we get so enamored with figuring out the immediate thing. We we That's why I said part of, of my job is perspective is, yeah, I understand we want to, we want to figure out how to dot the I's and t- cross the T's and all this stuff. What, what are we trained to do? What does success look like? in all these little elements. And, and this is one of the things that's hardest about running a business is we have all these things being thrown at us, all these things that need immediate response. We get trained into just putting fires out and we lose sight of the bigger picture on almost all these things and, and, yeah. it, and it bites us.
1: Oh, it's very true. And I think one of the things that, you know, I learned early on, because I was coming in, stepping in, saying that I was going to work in the construction industry, and I see so many people who are really good at their trade, electricians, plumbers, um, you know, HVAC guys, they really do know how to do that trade really well, um, but they don't have any idea about all the other things that are going to hit them, right? Like, uh, right, right. I didn't know I had to have a sales tax license. I didn't know that I was going to have to file preliminary notices when I was going to do big commercial projects here in the state of Arizona. And what what do yeah. what those 20 day notices need to include? I didn't know. And so I watched That's a gross margin. What? yeah, exactly. I watched all of that happen and I, it dawned on me somewhere along my journey. I'm the same way, right? Like I came into this business really knowing how to do construction accounting really well, but not knowing all the other aspects of, of running a business, managing people, um, understanding what types of people were going to be good managers that, I, that could work under me that could also manage people like all of those types of things I had no idea when I stepped through the door to start yeah. this business of how to do that. And so every one of us, wherever we're at in our journey is still, I think always trying to understand different aspects of the business and say, okay, I have to take I have to step back, I've take 50,000 foot view and I have to understand what you're saying like what are the goals of this business and and what are we trying to achieve? Where are we trying to go? And if I, if I can't answer that for myself, I'll never be able to expect my employees to be able to answer that.
2: Yeah. hundred percent. And when we, we bump into these areas, we don't know very well. We often um, go back to comfort, which is I'm really good at the roofing. I'm really good at the plumbing. I'm going to go check on the guys and make sure they're okay. I'm going to go make sure the CPAs are doing what they're supposed to do, because I feel, I know that world. I feel really comfortable there. and, and then the business kind of gets stagnant, and we don't understand why, and and we're, we're the business is not growing. So one of the things I, I um, share with folks to give them a bit of clarity on this, because if you ask me like, what do you want your life to look like in twenty years? It's that's a hard question, right? So a couple of things to help people kind of break this down and make it a little more simple in the beginning, and we need we need to get to the point where we got to figure out what do I want my life to look like in twenty years, because. I got to build a business that will support that. So I better do the math on that and make sure I'm I, I'm heading in the right direction. But before we get to that, simple things that, that can help give people a lot of clarity. Which is more important to you, freedom or control? Mm. You cannot have both. You're either building a business that gives you control or you're building a business that gives you freedom. You cannot split the difference on this. And what happens is sometimes, like, I'll give you an example, and this is most business owners can relate to this. One day we walk in the office on Monday and and our our spouse just kind of kicked our butt over the weekend because we never get to take any time off and you're working late all the time and you take your laptop with you home on the weekends Blah blah blah. blah, and and we're like, I need to have more freedom for my business. I have, I need to start delegating decisions. I, I need to start giving other people responsibility so I can have more freedom and boom, we're on the road to building a business that gives us lots of freedom. And over the course of the next few weeks, couple months, whatever employees make decisions that are really not good. And, and we we come to believe, I can't trust these people to make decisions. Now, I would argue that's because they don't understand things like the customer journey, whatever, but free that for a minute. We come to the conclusion, I can't trust these employees to make the decisions they have now, let alone more. I need to build a business that gives me control. And we completely shift gears. And now for the next six weeks, we're building a business that gives us control and we're gonna, we're gonna sell the freedom and, and buy the control. And our employees are sitting there, they had no idea this is going on. We don't walk in one day and announce this. They're just sitting there going like, what the heck is happening here? Three weeks ago, I got my butt kicked for, for not making this decision, or for making this decision, or not making the decision, and now it's the exact opposite. What is going on here? And so we oscillate between I want freedom and I want control. And during that whole oscillation period, we make no forward progress. Because to go from freedom building business to control building business, you have to completely backtrack through all the places you've gone, and we end up just going side to side instead of forward. That's the first thing. Do you want freedom or do you want control? If you want to build a business that can run without you, you, you have no choice but to build a business that gives you freedom, which means you need to teach people how to, how to make decisions you can trust, you can delegate more decisions. That's it. There's no there's no other way to do that. If you're a person who just can't give up control, then you have to resign yourself to the fact that you're never going to grow past six people or eight people or whatever it is. There's a finite number of decisions you can make in a day as a human being And whatever that number is for you and your company that's how big your company can get that's it right the second thing that will give people clarity is what's more important to you between time and money again most people say both okay well great when you have 50 employees you can have both when you have 17 employees you have to choose a path i'm either going to pick a path where i have a robust leadership team because time is more important to me and i'm going to pay money for those people to do things so i can be somewhere else or I'm going to save all that money. I'm going to have a very lean leadership team. I'm going to be doing more of that. I'm going to have the money that I would save by not hiring those people, but I'm going to have less time. So just getting clear on those two things can help people start getting in the right direction without having to have a. Here's exactly what my retirement is going to look like, and all these details that are that are hard. Those are a couple of things people can just figure out in the beginning to get them heading on the right path.
1: I love it. Thank you so much, Brian. Let's. Um, I'd like to bring in uh, some another voice to the discussion someone was actually kind of doing this out uh in the field and 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 running a company day-to-day so let's take a quick break and then we'll uh bring will from pj roofing into the discussion
0: if you would like to share your company or product on the construction junction email hello at theprofitconstructors.com to become a sponsor
1: Welcome back. And joining us for this third and final segment, we actually have Will Wallison with PJ Roofing in Colorado. Will, welcome. Thanks for joining us.
3: Hi, Tanya. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. So uh, Will, tell us a little bit about PJ Roofing and what you guys do up there in Colorado. Uh,
3: PJ Roofing is a, a small roofing company. We're in Winter Park, Colorado. Um, we we roof and do some uh, custom metal work for primarily custom home builders and uh, we we battle the elements most of the year and um, have kind of difficult logistics and things like that so a lot of our process is built around those things Uh, and that's that's kind of the rundown on what we do
1: nice well thank you so much for joining us so i i am excited that you're here today because i know that you and i have a lot of the same kind of thought processes on um on making sure that our employees do have the tools that they need to do the job that we're asking them to do, right? And like making sure that as we're designing what our businesses look like, that uh, that design fits for everybody involved. It's going to fit for the client, it's going to fit for your employees, um, and that everyone's going to kind of be on the same page. So tell us a little bit about um, your journey at PJ Roofing and uh, how you've been thinking already around this idea of Sort of process improvement and um you know again building a business that's going to be scalable sustainable and and growth minded
3: yeah well a a lot of the things that i got to listen in on you and you and brian discussing uh resonated with me because i've always been a a, i have a technical mind and i like to think about um, how things work and how we can improve those things um And that always leads me first to process and how can we um systematize this and um hearing you guys discuss well we're not making hamburgers we're we're, we run a service industry or a service industry business and there's so many variables that you can't ever hope to control all of them and, and have the recipe book um and so i think that process has an extremely important part in the business but I personally have to step back from that occasionally and think okay what comes first and so. um, What what i've developed over the last several years is. um, kind of more of a focus on a couple of other areas where process hopefully will be a part of it, but. um, You know where do we start first so where we started first was let's reduce the amount of decisions that someone on the team has to make in the first place. So um, outlining the specific products or services that we offer, um, what the options are, things like that. Um, So that was kind of the first stage of the evolution. Um, The second is working with profit constructors and arguably the most important and the most difficult, but um, managing our financials in a way that will allow me to manage a bigger team without micromanaging um, everything that they do. Um, I found um, this idea of this was kind of evolving over the last year or so, but it really came full head um, when I brought in an employee, a new employee recruited him from out of state. He was doing a great job. I had all the processes outlined for what his job description was out in the field, learning about the materials and getting to know the crews. And uh, in the meantime, he had a recipe for how to do most of those things. But well, we started getting to the year mark and um, which is around when I told him he'd probably be ready to be a project manager. And I started realizing I don't really have any framework for a project manager. That's a huge catch all um, of a title. And if I were to go out and ha- and ask him to manage a project. How do I gauge his success? How do I know how he's doing? And I kind of realized that I know ultimately I would just resort to going out and checking on him every day and trying to correct him when I saw things wrong. And so um, the, the biggest thing that came out of that is uh, one of the metrics is obviously going to be financial. And so how do we manage that? Well, We got to retool everything we do in order to hopefully simply manage that, but manage it with accuracy project by project.
1: Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that you and I talk about all the time, Will, is I have this philosophy that we're gonna keep it as simple as possible, right? Like um, I I wanna be able to give our clients the tools to manage, but I also want those folks that are having to use those tools out in the field uh, for those tools not to be burdensome to them like it has to be as simple as possible so that um, a they understand where we're going and and why it's important to be tracking some of these things but also like it's not hard for them to track those things and so we're trying to between you and I right now trying to design that system that um, gives us all the insight into those kpis and metrics but doesn't make it hard for the folks out in the field to make that happen so um brian to that point like what are when in in thinking about something that you said just a little bit ago like if we ask a project manager to manage the projects how do we up front load it for them like this is how we're going to be assessing uh the health of your projects and assessing that you're doing the job we're asking you to do
2: yeah so that's a great question and and here's the the path i like the best which is i kind of figure that out for myself like what do i think the things that matter are we're going to talk about financials we're going to talk about accident prevention we're going to talk about risks we're going to talk about customer you know, enthusiasm and whatever, that kind of, uh, whatever the metrics are, three to five things that I would know. Now, instead of me going and telling the project manager those, those things, I'm going to walk up, I'm going to ask the project manager, what are the kinds of things you think I should be using to assess your performance on this? And there's three things I want to figure out here. There's some things they're going to just naturally, they're going to nail it. hundred percent, it's going to be this. And there's some things they're going to completely miss or get wrong. And there's some things they are going to be kind of close on. I cannot diagnose which things they get and which things they don't get. If I'm talking, the only way I can diagnose where I need to have a conversation to confirm things that they do know correctly and coach them up on things that they don't is to shut up and let them talk. (laughs) And so I figure out the things I want in advance. And then I walk up and ask what does success look like for you. And I stop talking there and I let them go and I confirm all the places they get it right, which there will be many. And when they're done, I shore up some things that they don't get right. Now, one of the things that that is critical here is I kind of, you guys are talking about simplicity. One of my favorite simplicity things is the what, why, how framework. In a situation where I tell, I ask the project manager, what are the kinds of things that you would be using to assess, we quote, unquote, do a good job here? Or what do you think I would assess your performance on? And they forget accident prevention. They forget safety entirely, okay? I want to talk to them I want to coach them up on safety. Like, hey, safety is a big, a big deal here. Like if we do this job perfectly and somebody breaks a leg on the way out, like this is a fail, right? So the what, why, how framework is I explain the what until the point they can explain the what back to me in a way that lets me know that they got it in their own words, not just reciting word for word what I said, but the conversation cannot move forward until we both agree what success looks like. So in the case of, Accident prevention will what would be a a a $40,000 project? How would you describe relating to accident prevention? What success would look like
3: Um, from a from a safety prevention standpoint? I mean, obviously you 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 can't have anyone hurt or you don't want anyone hurt from a a project, no matter what the size. Um, But from a risk perspective, um, I think the biggest accident would be losing the trust of of either the builder you're working for. or. Um, the homeowner you're working for. Um and, and giving them a bad experience.
2: Yeah. So as it relates to safety for Will's company, our, our bar is pretty high. We can have no accidents here, no property damage, no injuries, nothing. That is the expectation, right? If the project manager cannot explain that back to me in a way that lets me know they got it, using their own words, then that is where the conversation has to stay. Only once they can do that do I move on to the next thing, which is why. Okay, Sally, project manager. Why do you think we have such a high standard for that? Well, why do you have a zero tolerance policy for accident prevention on a forty thousand dollars job when you're com- in your company?
3: Because we can all go get different jobs that are safer. If uh, if it's if we're getting hurt out there doing things, um, it's just ultimately not that important what we're doing to uh, you know send you home without without things um, you know without your health.
2: Hundred percent. And I would add, as a person who doesn't know any of your employees also, you can't be a very good roofing contractor if you can't get insurance. And if you have enough accidents, you will not get insurance. Exactly. And so literally I could argue that not having an accident on that $40,000 job is the most important thing you are doing because the consequences are so high. Now only when Sally, the project manager, can say that back to me in her own words in a way that I know that she gets it, can I move then move on to the how. And this is where we get it wrong as leaders very often we skip the what the goal is, we skip the why it matters, and we jump right to the how, procedure, 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 process, process, process. And we don't understand then what the big picture is. Why do, what does success look like and why does it matter? Once they get that, the how has context and the how has meaning. And so to answer your question in a, very sh- a much shorter way than Tanya's, I don't go up and make a statement, I go up and ask questions. I upfront know what success looks like for me, but then I go ask questions to diagnose, do they get the what if yes i move on to the why do they get the why if yes i move on to the how if, if, if and then the how we break it down how are we going to achieve these things we talked about i do not walk up and s- explain to sally here's what we're going to do that is the opposite of what i do
1: yeah i love it i think that was a really great example that you just threw out there Will, what are some other um questions that you have for brian in terms of like you know how to kind of move forward with what you're trying to build up there at PJ and and make this a more scalable, viable business.
3: Yeah, I think um, (laughs) one of the questions that has, um, has come up as you guys have been talking is what kind of a a minimum level of, you know, standardization or process um, is, because obviously, as, as you've been discussing, that's not the, the holy grail that's not the end-all be-all you can't run everything um by the book all the time but certainly to me there's um there's a middle ground there because uh i find that there's kind of a catch-all in the, in the industry which is if you're in construction you're a great problem solver which to me means you don't know what you're doing um and there's no process that you're following so you're just trying to figure stuff out as you go um so one of the things that that I really focus on is what's what are the minimum amount of things that we can do as a product or as a service in our business and then what's kind of a rough outline of how we do them um and and the next step as, as we're working on is keeping inventory of of all the standard products that that we use to to make our service um because we're three hours away from the nearest supply house. Um, so those are kind of the more technical nuts and bolts. But I guess my question is how do you balance that obvious need for some process with also the the um, more holistic, you know, vision that you have that you're communicating to the team?
2: Yeah. Great, great question. So the first thing is getting clear on the difference between a process and a procedure. Riding a bicycle is a process making Kraft macaroni and cheese is following a procedure. Okay. All procedures are processes, not all processes are procedures. All right. So it's important to use the correct language here and not conflate those two things because that creates confusion. There are plenty of things. I love having procedures on and I had procedures on in my own company. Call taking, you know, customer calls in, that's a procedure. We do it the same way every single time. There's like very little deviation from that and how we take calls and book appointments for estimates or whatever, right? You talk about inventory and trucks, very little deviation in how we stock our trucks and go through the, and and do the process of maintaining the inventory. There's procedures for both of those, very appropriate, right? So where I would start, Will, is figuring out kind of, again, what you're trying to build, right? And if you want to build a company, let's say you want to build a company that's 40 people. Well, you have to have people who can make decisions. And you have to have standards that we do the same thing every time to the best degree we can, whether Johnny's running the job site or Sally is or Joanne or whoever. Right? If my employees can understand that, again, they understand the what. The what is we want to build a company that we can scale and provide the same level of service to different clients, no matter who's running the job. If they get that, great. The next thing is, why does that matter? Well, on the selfish level as a business owner because I have a life too, <laughs> and I want to enjoy my family too. And I can't be here doing all these things if I'm, and I can't be doing things I love to do, like riding my motorcycle, if I'm here doing that stuff all the time. And I'm a human being who deserves a, a reasonable amount of freedom and happiness in life as well. Okay. Also, presumably, I know the individuals on the team well enough to know some of them have aspirations of growing their career. They cannot grow their careers if we don't have this process in place where that allows them to expand their knowledge and make ever more significant decisions along the way if they can explain those two things the what and the why then i would go in and and we figure out how i would pull the team together a team not the whole team necessarily maybe the whole team and say what are the kinds of things that make sense to have procedures on we're gonna we're gonna have compliance we're all gonna agree this is the best way we know how to do this and we're going to do it this way every single time and what are the kinds of things we can't proceduralize because there's too many variables we're going to have more of a process we're going to make decisions and we're going to to spell out what's the beginning middle and end of this look like and we'll make decisions all aiming for the same end that's a fantastic conversation to have that would take months and months and months but from that conversation just asking those handful of questions you will learn where your people want procedures and by the way when they want procedures they will write them and they will really follow them because it's their idea and where they think procedures are absolutely not to fit and we're trying to wedge procedures in a place where they don't fit because there's too many variables. So I'm a huge fan of getting clear on things that are the same all the time there's few variables those we want procedures hundred percent as much as we can. The things where there's lots of variables we can't have procedures or we're going to have a procedure that's 43 pages long that nobody's ever going to read, in which case it's a waste of time, but our team knows better than we do almost always when a procedure makes sense and when a process makes sense are there exceptions to that of course there's sometimes some people just won't get it but generally speaking they will know better than we will so i would like to ask them but again before i do that i gotta know what am i trying to build a company that gives me freedom or a company that gives me control because without that steering the overall this we can't figure any of this stuff out
1: i think to your point brian as, as you're sitting here is noodling on what you're saying and and so our team does often know when a process is needed right like if you consistently have tension because the person who's answering the phone asks a bunch of questions that the estimator that's going to go out and estimate that job doesn't care about or doesn't ask any of the questions that the estimator does care about if those two people are consistently having tension there will be a recognition between the two of them something's broken down in this communication process so that's got to be proceduralized okay Bob, when you are going to go out to do the estimates, what do you need Sally to ask every single time so that you can accurately est- you know, estimate on that project? So before yeah. she's taking that call, what do you need to know from her? And they'll both agree, that's gonna make both of them happier at the end of the day. Yeah.
2: And why? Bob, what do you need on that call and why? Once Sally knows the why, she's way more likely to do it. When yeah. Sally does not know the why, she's got her own ideas of what the why's are that are not in congruence with what Bob said. And that's what creates a part of this conflict. So sometimes it's as simple, what you're describing is getting the players in the room. And this kind of goes to your point as well. Sometimes what we think is a procedural breakdown is just a, a misunderstanding. Joe thinks we do it this way. Bob thinks we do it this way. If we bring Joe and Bob in the same room and say, I'm just going to do this for my own sake. What are the 12 steps of doing this? And when we get to step six and one says one thing and the other says the other thing. You're like, oh, do you guys think we should fix that? Yeah, I think we should fix that. And then we fix it, and everyone agrees from then on, and we don't need a procedure. We just had to identify the place where people are, are not in alignment on how we do this thing.
1: Yeah. Great stuff. The other questions, Will? I know you were taking some notes over there.
3: I was. I was, I was mostly learning. I was learning too much to, uh, to devise too many questions. Um, <laughs> Good stuff. I think- one one thing that stuck out to me is just your uh, your conversation about um, how you start out as an expert in the customer's mind um, and obviously you can mess that up but um, it's an interesting thought to me um, because I, I fall more into that camp that you were describing um, you know trying to be self-aware that um, as a roofer I'm concerned about how many of our projects leak this coming winter. I'm concerned about how many calls in and initially, um, if you were to ask me, what's our metric of success, that would be probably one of the top three. Um, I do think that maybe differs a little bit depending on who your market is, um, as a, a homeowner or a builder, there's no more frantic time. It seems like than when you just put on a new roof and it leaks, um, but much to your point um, there's a lot of other things that are more important that are harder to extract from them Um, and you see obviously with the homeowner it's that experience that um, that they feel that it's not really there's not really a a measurable way to tell satisfaction quote unquote Um, and then with a builder it's um, you know other things about how how reliable you can be if you show up on time things like that so i just thought that was an interesting statement um that you start out as an expert um in in your customer's mind um and and how that ties in with what they actually think about you after the job is complete
2: yeah you can absolutely blow it there's no question if you put a roof in and it leaks six months later like you can lose that credibility there's no question through the process, the the marketing, the sales, the the operational process of actually doing the work, the you know the the end, the walk through, you don't need to explain more than once or twice if that even that you're an expert at this. They grant you that you're an expert until you demonstrate there's a reason to question that. and that the roof leaking would qualify. Mm-hmm, certainly. but short of something like that happening, you know, a, a, a super silly example, like if I'm going to buy a car, if let's say I have a 16-year-old daughter, I'm going to go buy a car and I want to buy a safe car. My primary concern is I want a safe car for my daughter because she's 16. And I go to buy a car and the used car salesman there tells me, because I'm cheap, I wouldn't buy a brand new car for my 16-year-old daughter. The used carsman, car salesman spends it the whole time, you know, multiple times the conversation mentions what a great used car salesman he is. How much do I care about that? I don't care about that at all. I care about my 16-year-old daughter being safe in her car. The more he tells me that, the more he tells me he doesn't get my problem, and the more likely I know I need to go somewhere else and find somebody who does. It's the same with roofing. It's the same with plumbing. It's the same with bookkeeping. It's the same with HVAC and solar. It's the same with all of it. It's the same with my business now. How well they think we understand and can solve their problems is what they care about. And their internal problems, the problems they don't talk about. Me caring about my daughter's my sixteen year old daughter's safety, I might not ever verbalize that to my client to my car salesperson. Our clients won't tell us. Sometimes they're they're most the biggest fear they won't tell us. We have to know that. That biggest fear is what we need to address, not the roofing, not the plumbing.
1: Yeah, I, I'm thinking in terms of like personal experience and how that plays out. You mentioned earlier, Brian, like if you flip it on its head and you think about it from the opposite side, you think about as a consumer, like what do I want? From an experience, um, you know, here in town, I called out a roofer once because we had, it was actually someone that I knew. I had a prior relationship as a friend with him, and I a storm had come through and blown off uh, some shingles off of one part of our roof, and he came out, examined that, and gave me the the quote and the cost to fix that. And then when he came down off the roof, he said, and also while I was up there. I examined several uh, places on your roof and here's the potential for leaks that you have coming down the path. I didn't ask him to do that. I didn't, right. all I asked him to do was come and give me a quote to replace the section of shingles that had blown off. Right. And so, well, maybe that's very common that everybody in the roofing industry does that. I don't know. Cause it's like one of the few times I've really had like an emergency thing I needed to have done, but not just total re-roof. Right. But it, it elevated him in my eyes from just the guy that's going to replace the shingles to the guy that cares about me. And cares about what could happen in the future, right? Not just, hey, come do this, it's a transactional thing I need done. And so that's where I think you're you're getting at, Brian, is like, it's not so much about customer satisfaction. I would have been totally satisfied if he'd gone up on the roof and replaced those shingles. But when right. he came back down and said, and also someone else installed something else on your roof put these nails through your roof, they should not have done that. And I'm going to bring one of my guys back out and we're going to fix that at the same time that we're doing this other thing that took it from customer satisfaction up to he's the only guy I'm going to call now when I need something done from
2: ever. So let's do a little exercise here, Tanya. Why, why did that matter to you that he did that?
1: I didn't expect it.
2: Right. Got that.
1: And like I said, it also made it clear that he wasn't just there to do the transaction that I called him out for he was truly looking out for like, here's something else you need to know.
2: So there was some risk involved that he identified up front. Why, why was there benefit for you and him identifying that risk that you didn't know about?
1: Uh, well, so the crazy rest of the story is the shingles had blown off because of a big storm. He said, we're gonna be back out this afternoon before he could even get back out here that afternoon, a big rainstorm went through and water ended up pouring down my wall. So he had identified risk that showed up that very afternoon. He hadn't even had time to get his, to mobilize and get his guys back out there, but it was clear at that point, right? Like this is a situation that has to be solved and had that storm, that second storm not blown through, I never even would have had the water running down my walls that afternoon.
2: Right. And why would that bother you to not know that?
1: Well, if I had known that he was up on my roof and then water was pouring down, I might've been like, why didn't you look over there?
2: <laughs> right, What? right. So yeah, I know we're running short on time. So if we, if we no, continue this exercise, you would get to a point probably where you say something like, well, my house is like my biggest asset and protecting that asset and knowing things that could devalue or damage that very valuable asset. That matters a lot to me. That is one of those internal thoughts that people are never going to say. But if our, if our, in, in Will's case, if his roofers don't understand more so than how well the roofing is put on, this person cares about protecting the value of this asset they, can they make good decisions? Like if they can't explain that, that they understand that, that this is the internal thing the client might not ever say, but that matters more than they expect you to put the roofing on correctly. They don't expect you to care about their asset. Right, right.
1: Very good. Such good stuff. Will, any other uh, last questions that you have for Brian in terms of uh, really dialing that, that stuff in? yeah I'm gonna
3: uh, I'm gonna throw something else out that we haven't talked about and uh, I know it's um we've had some good conversation um, so I don't want to make it too lengthy but I have to ask since you mentioned it Brian um, one of the things you you focus on is um, you said people process and profitability that may not be exactly um, how you said it but um, that people aspect I think is something that people, in the construction industry talk about endlessly. I don't have enough people, my people are bad, my people are good, this and that. And and I think we can argue that left and right all day long. But um, one kind of more specific question I have for you is is, um, how much focus uh, when you're giving folks guidance on bringing new people into their organization, how much focus do you put on their personality type, um, how they process issues and problems um, things like that, whether it's from like a technical personality test or just kind of a general fit for the business. Um, how much of a focus do you put on that and 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 what advice do you give?
2: Great question. So I break, I break hiring down into two categories. There's jobs and careers, right? A job is something I can teach somebody to do in a month or less. I could teach your average 18-year-old how to be a, a dispatcher or a CSR in a month, give or take, right? That's a job. And if I lost that CSR, it would suck, and I'd have to go train somebody else to do that job, right? A career is something that's going to take me many months or even years. In my old industry, plumbing, it took four years to train a journeyman plumber, right? I, I hire those people a little differently. In in both cases, I care more about their character than I care about their skills, but especially on the career one, I don't. If I'm hiring somebody who's going to take four years to train to be journey level plumber. I don't care if they know what a copper street 90 is. I don't care if they know what an eighth bend is. I don't care. In four years, they're going to learn it. I do care. Are you going to show up all the time? Are you a person of character? Do you say, you you know, that, that I care about their character almost exclusively. If they can't read a tape measure, am I my question, why do you want to be in this industry? Like if it's like super basic stuff, but what happens is we get in the mode of, how fast can you type? Have you handled multiple phone lines? Blah 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 blah. You know, what is your plumbing experience? What is your roofing experience? If I'm going to train this person for four years, they're going to learn all that stuff. I cannot teach them to be a good person. On a job, though, the thing I can teach them to do in a week or two, I'm a little more. How fast can you type? How I many? Have you handled multiple phone lines before? i it, it's it's different for me. In both cases, I care about character way more because I I I can't remember a time. I'm sure there have been i can't remember a time though of the hundreds of people i've probably hired and fired in my career where i fired somebody because they technically didn't get it it's almost always behavioral stuff mm-hmm. Does uh, that makes perfect question?
3: sense i mean that's a distinction that you don't really hear a lot of people talk about is the job versus career i mean I, you can it seems like people are in one camp or the other like i need to hire for all the skill and my people aren't skilled enough or I need to hire for character. I'll teach them everything, but at the end of the day, there's a practical element there where it's like you know sometimes
2: you you, you do have to hire for the job as well. Yeah, and there's, and, it, and there's times where oh sorry, go ahead, Tony.
1: No, I was just saying it depends on if you, do you need to get them on the job doing the work today? It's like you don't. Sometimes you have a place uh, opening in your business where you need them on the roof today. You don't have the time to teach them what they could have learned in the last four years. You need someone who's got that experience to put on the roof today.
2: Yeah, and depending on the labor pool available, when unemployment's four percent and you and you can't hire a roofer or a plumber or a nurse or whatever, you know you're going to be growing these people. We have to fight that urge to just take the first person that comes on because they're a body in a in a uniform, and mm-hmm. that that rarely works out, and that's where it's the hardest. Now, when unemployment's 11 percent and there's a deep pool of people out there looking for work, yeah, then you can hire somebody who's got the skills, and you can vet them over you know three weeks or so, and if their character is really not good, you can move them along and find somebody else quickly in this environment. We, most of us have not had that option for a while. That's going to be changing probably in the next few years, but for a while, we it's not been like, you can just go hire journey level tradespeople. like it's been really hard for most folks.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's a good point. And one of the things that, uh, in my, I keep referring to a conversation I had right before this, but I think it's, it's appropriate. One of the things I think it's important to think about too, is, um, looking at your employees that you're not paying them for their time. I have a really good uh, mentor of mine who talks to me about that all the time. Like time is not a commodity. What I am paying people for is their knowledge and their expertise. Right. And if that means that I'm going to take some time to grow their knowledge and expertise, that's okay too. And so the, I think that there's part of that, that comes into this. Like, uh, I should not get caught up in assuming that I'm just paying this person by the error. Therefore I'm just paying them for their time because, time isn't something that's valuable to you for them to sell to you. Mm-hmm. What's valuable to you is what they know and what and the value that they're bringing from that standpoint.
2: Yeah, 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 I mean, like, like as you get into more entry level positions, you know, if you're ditch digging, like anyone can do that kind of a job eh, I would be more on the time spectrum. But that's very few exceptions. Almost right. all of me, right, they're, they're gonna have an, an, a certain amount of knowledge and expertise. And it's their willingness and ability to apply those things in the right circumstances that we're paying for, hundred percent. Yeah.
1: This has been a great discussion. Thank you guys both so much for joining us today. I'm uh, yeah, really for
2: your great excited. questions. Will those are awesome questions. Yeah. Well, thanks
3: That's for nice. imparting some of your uh, both of your knowledge on me. I always enjoy uh, enjoy learning from you. This is great.
1: Um, thanks you guys both for being here today, and um, I'll I'll I'm be talking me. to both of you soon. All right. Take care. Thanks, guys.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Construction Junction. To find out more about the junction between accounting and construction, please email hello at theprofitconstructors.com.